Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. A Living History Production. I'm Peter Hart. And I'm Gary Bain. And together, we're Pete and Gary's Military History Podcast. You wash it on the Gustav line. Hello, Pete. <laughs> Gary, that's a tuneful start to the, the podcast. Well, you said I couldn't say what I normally said, so I thought I'd, I'd do something different. Well, it was different. Very, very different. Uh, what, what, what are we doing today, Gary? It's uh, back with our old favourites, I bet, the old 16th Durham Light Infantry. Well, there was a clue in the song, Pete, because today we're doing the Battle of Monte Camino. Ooh. What's that part of? That's part of the uh, bigger war, the Second World War. Oh, is it? Is yeah. it? It's 1940. <laughs> now, all roads <laughs> might lead to Rome, so there's a clue there. Yes. But from the perspective of the Fifth Army, these roads were firmly blocked by the Gustav ah, Line. Yeah, yeah well, I remember now, yeah. Covered uh, in washing, it was. Now, the outer defences, that's called the Bernhardt Line, and they are four square uh, on, on, the, on the heights of Monte Camino. It's a huge massif of what we call a mountain. So it's very big then. It was massive. Massive. Uh, and notice that's not Monte Cassino. No, that confused me somewhat. Yeah, well, this is this is another big, rocky, mountainous massif. Uh, and it's just inland of the floodplain of the Ga- Ga- Garigliano. <laughs> Garigliano River. Um, and now... Uh, I, I don't know, but the fighting in this phase, it sort of shows something up to me. What might it be showing into my sort of rattled brain? I think you're referring to the underlying flaws in the Allied strategic planning, uh, which ought to have been apparent. Oh, well, I think they should. Now, it, it's, So what is the Italian campaign about? Is it a diversion to draw strength from the Eastern Front? Is, is, is it to, do, to, 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 to draw attention away from the intended Anglo-American D-Day invasion of France, the 6th of June, 1944? Is it, uh, is, it, is it succeeding as either of them, do you think? Well, no, clearly the operations in Italy were not working. Although suffering heavy losses, the Germans were still providing a determined resistance with their existing forces in Italy. Did you say existing I did say existing. So it's not a diversion then, is it? No. It's not diverting troops. And f- furthermore, as D-Day became the prime concern, the Italian backwater began to be starved of the resources necessary to secure a rapid success well, in any cor- event. Of course it was. And in this, it's a bit like Gallipoli, isn't it? 
Oh, I think you're referring to mission creep and Chilean diplomacy. Uh, That had inveigled the Americans into first North Africa and then Sicily and now lumbered them with a terrible battle for Italy. A country that's already surrendered. Oh, yeah, that's true. And it was evident that the Italian campaign was sucking in landing craft and resources needed for D-Day. Yet the fighting went on. On, on, on goes the fighting. Right. Uh, Now... Uh, so, so what's uh, what's the American commander of Fifth Army? Uh, who is that? Who is that, Gary? Uh, General Mark Clark. And on the fifth of November, nineteen forty-three, he ordered his British fifty-sixth division to storm the heights of Monte Camino, uh, which was held by elements of the Fifteenth Panzer Grenadier Division. Uh, it was therefore a truly challenging. I think it is. It's not the whole of the Fifteenth Panzer Grenadier Division, but it's enough to embugger anybody trying to get up there. Uh, who in particular was involved? Uh, the 201st Guard Brigade was to capture the village of Calabrito, then ascend the evocatively named Bear Arse Ridge. Why was it called Bear Arse Ridge? Because it looked like a bear arse. Got it. And uh, to attack the summits of Point 727 and Monastery Hill. Why was it called some point? What? 727? <laughs> oh, Monastery Hill. And uh, while 168th Brigade were to take the Kukuruzo village before advancing up the ridge on point 530. And uh, we will stick a map up, uh, probably, perhaps, whatever. Uh, uh, or you can get it by just typing yeah, Mon Camino. On internet, it's yeah. on the internet. Um, now, uh, we're not involved. The Durham Line are involved in this. Uh, were they successful in these attacks? No, some progress was made, but the attack fell apart. There were simply not enough troops allotted to subdue the strong German resistance on such a huge dominant mountain fastness. Or massive. Or massive. However, failure was not considered acceptable. Failure is not an option. Uh, And they were ordered to try again the next day. Yep, they feed more and more troops into the meat grinder with a, yeah, as I would describe it freezing temperatures what what goes well with freezing temperatures gary can you think rain or sleet high winds yeah and uh, pervading dank mist there's all... a pervading dank mist around you <laughs> and, <laughs> and that all adds to the overall misery yes it does gary <laughs> no matter what they tried the germans still seem to be above them controlling the peaks now, at last, on 14th of November, wow, so that's... How long have they been going? Since the 5th. Oh, God. Five, 14, nine, nine days, maths with Pete and Gary. Uh, the 56th Division were allowed to withdraw, and they've suffered terrible casualties. You know, the, 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 so the 5th Army, the American 5th Army, would gird its metaphorical loins and try again on the 2nd of December with Operation Raincoat. That's, uh, that's a rather boring name for an operation, isn't it? Uh, well, just to north, well, just to, just to the north, the Americans would seek to capture Monte La Defensa. Uh, this time, two British divisions were, uh, of the uh, Fifth Army would be deployed back back by the copious artillery support of have a guess how many guns? Oh, uh, I don't know, eight hundred and twenty. Good lord. <laughs> Spot on, right. to help to help blast their way up onto the Monte Camino Massive. Uh, I'm going to have to stop saying that soon. Uh, you should never have started with that. Oh, it's my fault. It is your fault, clearly. Anyway, uh, so so what? So what, how are these two divisions going to operate? Well, the 56th Division would once again take the direct route from Calabrito up Bear Arse Ridge, but <laughs> but this time it would be assisted by a preparatory attack. Uh, the previous day by the 46th Division, whose 139th Brigade would capture the various spurs and foothills stretching down to the south from the main massive. 
So, uh, to name a few, Pillbox Spur, Terrace Hill and Telegraph Hill. Uh, and that, the intention of that is to provide a threat to the Germans' right hand, right flank and hopefully distract them from the main assault which would be carried out next day uh, by poor old, uh, uh, poor old 56th Division. Um, now, the, the 139 Brigade is the DLI uh, Brigade, but they're not involved in the initial s- s- uh, uh, operations, are they? No, at 2200 on the 1st of December, the 5th Sherwood Foresters and the 2nd 5th Leicesters moved forwards, whilst the 16th DLI was in reserve back at the village of La Murata. Now, the Foresters, they were to move up Pillbox Spur, uh, which would, uh, they, they, once they were on Pillbox Spur, that was going to act as a, as, as a firm base. You've, you've got a bit of a firm base there, I Thanks, see, Gary. Mate. <laughs> then they would move al- <laughs> along the ridge, <laughs> pushing through the woods to take the village of Calabrito, after which it was the turn of the Leicesters. They'd advance to the, their left to take Terrace Hill. Um, Goes well at first, doesn't it? Pillbox Hill taken without any opposition. But what happens when they attack Calabrito? Well, disaster strikes. Deep mud, barbed wire, minefields, machine guns and heavy mortar fire from Terrace Ridge first cause a stumbling halt and then a pell-mell retreat to their start line on Pillbox Hill. Well, the Leicesters fare no better. Uh, they're badly shelled as they pass through the village of San Clemente. They, they also run onto a sodding minefield before their attack on Telegraph Hill collapse. It, a, a welter of casualties. We've got to remember, the Durhams aren't the only ones suffering. And that the whole point of these podcasts is to make it clear what one, what happens to one battalion. But it's happening to lots and lots of battalions. We're just picked on one. Yeah. Now, with the attack stalled, as night fell on the 2nd of December, B Company was detached from the 16th DLI and sent forward into action. So this is acting as a reserve, yes. Now, Bill Ver had only just rejoined after a brief hospitalisation with jaundice, and he had celebrated a little unwisely. And this is Corporal William Ver of 12 Platoon B Company. We had a right good night out. I drank too much wine at a little wine shop in the village. The wine was 22 lira a bottle, and at the time, lira was 400 to the pound. About threatened to bottle. We had a drop too much. Bill Holder was a good pianist, and there was a piano in this place where we were billeted. It was a right good sing-song. <laughs> now, little did he know what lay in front of him in just a few hours' time as they marched up towards Calabrito. They came under dreadful mortar fire and were forced to take cover in what remained of some former German slit trenches. And this is once more Corporal William Ver. It came on absolutely bucketing down with rain. Terrible weather. It just churned it all to mud. The, the slit trenches were half full of water. You were just sat in them trying to get a cigarette going. But you couldn't. Then they started mortaring us. Well, of course, they knew the exact range for these trenches because they were the ones that dug. They, they'd dug before. They'd withdrawn higher up the valley. They were dropping these bombs or mortar bombs all around. And luckily, half of them were dug. They weren't exploding because of the soft ground. A chap in the trench next to me, a bomb exploded and killed him. His mate, his mate with him was badly wounded. It was awful. I never did like mortar shelling because they come straight down. You can be in a slit trench, but it can drop right in with you, whereas a shell at least comes down at an angle. You've got the, you get, you've got the fragments from the mortar bomb, but also all the rock fragments as well which doubled the effect of the shrapnel. Shattered rocks flying about will kill you just as well as a piece of metal if it hit you. 
That's very true. true. Yeah, the casualties were high, with one shell killing Lieutenant Fred Strothart and mortally wounding the popular company commander, Major George Balance. Well, on a, uh, t- 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 this is a sad bit, uh, and I remember the, the, on a personal level, poor old Bill William Ver felt even more uh, closely, the, 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 the deeply closely, whatever you like, the loss of Bill Holder. Well, why, why, why Bill Holder? Well, Bill Holder was the man who had led the Jolly Sing Song playing the piano just the night before. Holder was hit in the head and his mates tried to help him back to safety, but he died in their arms. As the shells fell all around them, with death seemingly only a moment away, Ver found himself driven to the edge of madness. If you're under a long, if you're under a long bombardment, I think you'd go mad eventually. You'd go off your rocker. Every man has a different breaking point, and some go before others. You can never point the finger at anyone because he'd reached his breaking point. You, yours, might be just a little further on, another half hour, and it might be you. You tend to be on the brink, and it takes all your striving to prevent yourself from going to pieces. When you feel like letting everything go, gabbling and screaming, gibbering, away, just letting go, you just curl up in a ball and hope nothing comes your way. I always lay on my left side and put my hands between my legs, my tin hat on the top, and hope for the best. I felt I was protecting myself a little bit. I no, probably wasn't. There was nothing else you could do. And that's a, that's a very, very, uh, oh, I don't know. It makes you think, that quote, doesn't it? It does. Now, their position was untenable, and they fell back towards Pillbox Ridge. In these operations, 139th Brigade had suffered a dreadful hammering from the 129th Panzer Grenadier Regiment, holding the Calabrito Basin Sector, but it had done just enough to secure the flank of the 56th Division. Just Well, just enough, that, fair enough. The main attack, that goes in on the night of 2nd, 3rd December, preceded by a fabulous withering bombardment, wasn't it? Uh, 169 Brigade uh, advances up Razorback Ridge towards Monastery Hill, while 167, <laughs> who do, where do you think they slogged up? Uh, Bear Arse Ridge. Towards point eight one nine, yeah. Now this time, the fifty sixth division they storm home, resting control of point seven two seven before charging on to attack point eight one nine itself. What are the Americans doing? Well, they, meanwhile, they- they'd also captured the heights of Monte La Defensa, but still the Germans would not surrender. Uh, no. Monte Camino. No, they just won't, will it? And so what do you think it degenerates into? It? Well, it's our old friend, isn't well, it? It's going to be, isn't it? It's a gruelling phase of attacks and counter-attacks followed uh, with both sides bringing up reinforcements to create a hell on earth on that blasted summit. Now, at this point, uh, 5th of December, the 16th of DLI were called upon to try and exploit the gains made by 56th Division by taking the Cocorutso Spur. That's point 4.30 and point 4.20. Uh, again, have a look at the map. After a conference with the Colonel of the 5th Sherwood Foresters, Colonel Johnny Preston, that's the 16th DLI Colonel, came up with a plan to avoid having to make a frontal, frontal assault across Calabrito Basin. What does he do? Well, what, is, what does he put forward? Well, he planned to attack from the north, more or less from the rear of the German position. So how's he going to do that? Well, it involved a significant flanking march, which started at 11 o'clock from the base at La Murata, then tracking all the way round through the 56th Division area, climbing up Bear Arse Ridge, onto Monte Camino, then across to the Fomelli position, which had just been taken by the 201st Guards Brigade. 
Now, can I say that sounds like a hell of a climb? But but, but what advantages does it have? Well, it it offers the chance of tactical surprise, which might reduce the casualties. So it's a chance worth taking. And this is Company Sergeant Major Leslie Thornton of the support company. We were all concentrated at the bottom of this mountain, the, the battalion, the support company, ready to climb that mountain and get over the top. The night before, I think there were 650 guns of our artillery fired on that mountain. Every gun was used. The whole lot were firing. The 7.2 inch, which are huge guns. The 5.5 inch guns, remember who used to fire them? South Nod Cesars. The 25 pounders and the Bofors. It was like bonfire night. The shells landing on this mountain. And the next morning, we had to climb up. Now, wow. Before they left, Leslie Thornton encountered a surprising but welcome visitor. We started and got to the bottom of the mountain to wend our way up. I had my company com- company headquarters with me and the captain. I had my full kit on and on the top of my pack on my neck and on top of my pack on my neck was a coil of barbed wire. The sergeant majors had to do the work as well, you see. Just a little way up, this tall figure with a stick came bouncing down and says, Good morning, sergeant major. Good morning, sir. I wonder what the hell he's been doing up there. It was the corps commander, Lieutenant General Sir Richard McCreary. He'd been to have a look. Naturally, he couldn't stay up there. You, you can't have generals being taken prisoner or killed. Well, you could in the First World War. You could in the Second World War as well. Uh, good for Good on him for looking to see what was happening. Now, there were no roads, just rough mountain paths, and there's no doubt that the men found it extremely hard going, laden down as they were. And this is 2nd Lieutenant Russell Collins of A Company. It was like scree, very rough and broken ground. There were very steep tracks, and of course we were carrying full battle order, 48-hour rations, full water bottles, and full load of ammunition. There was no possibility of any motor transport going up there, so we had pack mules which took the heavy stores up. Going up this winding track all through the night with periodic breaks of five or ten minutes each hour and so on, with the mules going along beside us, going up as quietly as we could. By the morning, we got up on the high ground, unobserved. The enemy quite unaware as far as I know. Yes, an exhausting long march, but they reached point six eight three, and that's the furthest point uh, uh, that the guards had taken. And they got up there by about 20 hundred, and they just stay there, out of sight, up on the position. And, and what are they doing? They're, they're essentially gathering their forces and resting. Uh, the Germans can't see them. They're, they're, they're concealed by the natural... Uh, Flow of the ground. Flow. Now, the officers carefully carried out a recce to get the ground configuration in their heads. The attack on point 430 would be made at first light on the 6th of December by C Company. Now, at this time, Ronnie Sherlock had risen to be second in command. Promotion was fast due to the frequency of casualties. And this is Lieutenant Ronnie Sherlock of C Company. Cocorazzo Spur ran out from the west side of Monte Camino. C Company were the leading company. One or two casualties, but nothing seriously. We consolidated Cocorazzo Spur. There was a similar spur about 300 yards away that the Germans held. It was this contingent that were making life difficult for us. Mainly small arms stuff. We'd done a little bit of digging. We had little sangers of piled up rock. During the course of the action, I was hit in the left shoulder by a sniper bullet. I was being stupid, actually. I was pointing out the man that had shot me. 
that shot me, pointing with my left arm. I was spun round. I was taken straight out of the line. The stretcher bearers were very good. They wrapped me up straight away and put a dressing on. They took me out down to the regimental aid post. Now, he was lucky the bullet had chipped, not shattered his shoulder bone. After a brief period of hospitalisation and convalescence, he was soon back with a 16th DLI. And at this point, we'll just take a short break. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Major Ray Mitchell's A Company was tasked with making the next push forward, leapfrog, leapfrogging through to take an intermediate small promont- promontory. Uh, can, can I, <laughs> uh, what was the promontory called? Uh, it was given the code name Dick. Excellent code name. And uh, who would, who, can I guess, A Company, can I guess who was leading? Uh, well, <laughs> that's uh, Russell Collins. Yeah. And this is, once more, Second Lieutenant Russell Collins of A Company. As we were going across, uh, we came under a a lot of small arms and artillery fire. In fact, the artillery fire was extremely confusing. It was all so close to us that we were never very sure if it was German defensive fire or our own barrage supporting us because the shells seemed to be falling all around. But the most conspicuous thing was the small arms fire and we suffered a lot of casualties. About 18 men in A Company were hit with bullets in the space of about half an hour. The medical officer did a tremendous job because he had brought his regimental aid post forward and set up in a sort of crofter's hut down on the lee side of the mountain. These casualties were taken down to him. Now, eventually, the fire gets a bit too much for them and A Company are forced to go to ground just by the heavy small arms fire. Um, Now, Collins... And these men, <clears throat> they take cover behind boulders and, and there was a convenient low dry stone wall. Like those ones you get in Durham. You've been to Durham, haven't you? And here they were pinned down. And, and any move, what happened with any move? Bang, bang, bang. Uh, another outburst. storm of firewood could break out. So what does Russell Collins say? I spotted where this fire was coming from, about 80 to 100 yards on our right, as we were going across. A lot of fire was coming from there, like a crofter's small farmstead. I was so incensed, really, very angry that some of my chaps were being hit. One very nice lad, Private Jimmy Baglin, was hit and died subsequently. Ray Mitchell was there, really wondering quite what to do, I think. I said, well, look, I think I'd better go and sort it out. Will you let me go? He said, good Lord, if you want to, sooner you than me. I said, I'll take a little assault party round to the right flank. He said, well, all right, good luck. 
I set up a machine gun post to fire back at these people to keep their heads down while I moved with two or three chaps. My Batman Phillips, Corporal Clayton, was another of them. I handpicked about three or four men. Yeah, now um, this is, uh, that's this is, I mean, Collins is sort of almost taking control here, isn't it? Uh, it's also interesting, he wouldn't delegate the task to an NCO, would he? Um, no, because at this time he'd realised that the real role of Subalton, like himself, was to provide an inspirational example to his men. Yeah. So what does he say about it? Because he talks quite, he's an elegant chap, isn't he? This is once more Second Lieutenant Russell Collins. It depends so much on the individual. Some officers might make the plans. This is the plan, Sergeant. I can do the covering fire from here and you take the assault party round there. That was not my way. Rightly or wrongly, I led from the front whenever possible. I felt more confident that way. I felt it was my duty to tell you the truth. I really felt I couldn't send somebody else there if I wasn't prepared to do it myself. I nearly always led from the front. In the war, the dominant lesson I learned was the crucial role of the junior officer because it was quite clear to me that unless platoon commanders led their platoons, nothing happened. Well, that's, that's, an, that, that's a view, and uh, I respect that view myself. Uh, some, you know, there are other ways of doing things. But um, Now, uh, so who provides a covering fire? Well, it was machine guns and rifles, of, uh, you know, and, uh, and Collins lunges off to the right. He's heading towards uh, the farm buildings. I think this is quite desperate it, it's bloody risky isn't it it is and he goes on to say this we went around to the right flank i wanted to get on with it i went positively you might say impetuously but anyway straightforwardly as i ran into the target area onto which our machine gun was still firing rapid fire the bullets were cracking over my head but i think they saw us just in time when i got round the side of the building I saw that there was no ground entrance, but there was an outside staircase. I rushed straight up the staircase and there was a door open at the top. I was aware of the danger of going into an open doorway, but somehow I established that there was nobody in that upper room. Then I looked over the sort of parapet where I was standing at the top of this stairway and down behind was an extension to the farm building, a cowshed or something like that. It was clear then that the enemy were all in there. I was standing about 10 feet above them. I opened up with my Tommy gun down through slates or tiles of the roof and I ordered my other chaps around the side of the staircase to my left. There they were standing outside the door with their rifles at the ready and I was standing up above firing down. What came out through the door was a white flag on the end of a rifle bayonet because there was absolutely nothing else they could do. We shouted at them to come out with their hands up they came out, something like 16 or 18 of them. I'm afraid that when we lined those prisoners up, if any of them had cameras or anything like that, which we didn't want to fall into the hands of the people guarding the prisoner of war camps behind, we helped ourselves. We felt that we were more entitled to them than they were. Perhaps slightly reprehensible in some ways. Among them was a camera, and I took some snaps there and then. Then we dug in, consolidated the position, and had a brew up. He's he's a brave chap, he's, and he's a great leader, isn't he? I, I mean, yeah, I, you can't have much more than admiration for them. Uh, he's taken the position, and 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 he would get his reward. He was an awarded uh, uh, the MC for his performance that day. Uh, and and what what was uh, uh, Russell's re Collins' reaction to that? 
I don't think MCs came up very frequently for platoon commanders. They came up sometimes for company commanders who'd commanded a successful attack, but hadn't done anything perhaps too personal. I think in general, they were all well-merited. The thing that sticks in mind is that I did many things which in my mind were equally meritorious, and some of them even more hazardous, which just weren't recognised at all. But one doesn't complain about that. It's the luck of the draw. I was quite chuffed about mine. Well, I, I bet he was. Well, you know, it's 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 great, really, that he got it, um, and he deserved it, in my view. Now, um, well, what about this uh, this uh, noble tradition of, uh, of, t- of robbing things from prisoners? Yes, well, Tony Sacco, uh, he would confirm that the men carried on that noble tradition, as you put it. Uh, and he uh, goes on to say this. This is signal to Tony Sacco of A Company. We lined them all up, about 35 of them. As they were standing there, the lads were going and taking their weapons off them and, and also stealing their wa- their watches. The German Sergeant Major, he spoke very good English. He said to the company Sergeant Major Wilson, I, I think some of you, I think your men are, um, oh, that's the wrong accent in turn. I'm going to get, forget that. I think your men are a bunch of recruits. Wilson just grinned. Uh, I didn't believe in looting. I never did. That, that sacco didn't believe in it. And, you know, but something worse happens. Um, what, what, what's the backup to this? Because th- this next story is, is not a good story for the Durham Light Infantry, but there are exceptional circumstances which explain it rather than excuse it. Well, during the fight in two stretcher bearers, Privates Clifford Millett and Bernard Davenport had been killed by a German sniper. Major Ray Mitchell was incandescent with rage and resolved to have his revenge, and it did result in an ugly scene. And this is is. once more signaller Tony Sacco. Major Mitchell was going mad. Who's the sniper? Who's the sniper that killed these stretcher bearers? There was only one there with a camouflage suit on. He didn't look like a German at all. Dark hair. Mitchell said, right, you're the sniper. Go to the side. And he pointed to me, Webley and Mason, uh, that was the other two signalers. You three, aim your guns. I thought, we can't do this. But this German was just standing up, not showing any fear at all, just standing, scowling, just glaring at us. Major Mitchell was looking for him to show fright, and he wouldn't. I thought, hey, I don't like this idea at all. He said, right, get back in, shoot the lot. I thought, oh, God. Everybody's lined up with their guns. Right, aim, when I tell you, fire. Fire, now aim. (laughs) Sorry, yeah, you can see what they are. He's saying, aim at these soldiers. They're all standing, nobody moved. Then suddenly this great big fat one, right at the front, he must have been about 18 stone, he started crying. He got down and started taking all his photographs out of his wife. He was looking at them. The other Germans were looking at him as if he was dirt. He was crying. I don't think Mitchell would have shot them, but he wanted somebody to show fright. I think that's all he wanted in the end. He said, right, march a lot away. That, that's still not on. I, I, I think I understand what's going on. It's loss of temper. It's, it's, it's Mitchell was at the end of his tether. He's done something over the top. And, I think, and, and in the end, it's a threat. But I, can you imagine how those Germans felt? with them guns pointing on the other hand how many Germans pointed guns at helpless people and shot them so they mm. now while A Company was dealing with this flanking German strongpoint to the right of the uh, dick 
position. D Company was sent up to the left of C Company. Not much chance for humour in this podcast, so I'm just, were... just taking it while I can, Gary. All right. D Company was sent up to the left of C Company, who was still holding point four three zero. Now, together, they launched the final assault at 14.30 to take Dick and .420 with the assistance of a heavy barrage supplied by the 25-pounders of the ubiquitous 70th Field Regiment. But they're always with them. They're near, close nearby, aren't they? Yeah, and that was accompanied by smoke shells fired by their own three-inch mortars. Now, after vigorous fighting, the strong point was finally stormed and defensive positions established. Behind them, the support company had been struggling up through the charnel house of a battlefield, and it was a very grim scene. It was. And this is Company Sergeant Major Leslie Thornton, support company. We finally got to the top. The carnage. There was guardsmen hanging out of holes in the ground. There was Germans lying all over. There was still some rifle fire. They were disposed of. And we started our climb down to the valley. This barbed wire on my neck was bouncing up and down. And it wasn't very comfortable at all. You believe me, especially going down. It wasn't so bad going up. Uh, eventually we got to the bottom it was getting light on on we went to where i had to put my company headquarters in the valley we halted there and waited for orders i saw two bodies lying on the ground sergeant kennedy a friend of mine from bishop auckland dead and his corporal lying beside him they'd been caught by german machine gunners hit in the head we buried them there a shallow grave took their discs put their gas capes over them and marked it so that the Padre would come along later on, see them, and they'd be moved. That's a, again, sad story. Now, during the fighting, Thornton's company commander had been injured and Thornton had been required to take over command of the support company. In the end, they were up there for four days. He would later recall it was the longest time during which he never shaved in his whole adult life but there were still more deadly dangers than stubble lurking on the Monte Camino wastelands, and CSM Thornton goes on to say this. I heard a shot, and something went past me. Then this guardsman came over, and I saw a bullet hit beside him. It was a sniper just on our left, up a tree. He was unlucky. The guardsman saw him and blasted him. Down he fell. That was the end of him. He could have got us if it hadn't been for the fact he missed. A bit of squatty humour there in a very dark circumstances. By the way, that last bit, you know, I'm just thinking about it. That Sergeant Kennedy, you know, his friend from Bishop Auckland, where did my dad come from and how old was my dad? My dad probably knew him because he'd have been in the same school probably. It's not a big town, Bishop Auckland. It's weird. Weird. I don't really come from Luton, you see. Do you not? Now, on the 7th of December, C Company advanced to the left from Point 420 along the Cocoruzzo Spur to take the village of Cocoruzzo. Hmm, I wonder if that was named after the spur or was the spur named after Cocoruzzo? I don't know. Either way, it was the battalion's final objective. By 12 o'clock, the village was secured as the Germans had fallen back. The domination of the Calabrito Basin had been achieved, which meant supplies and casualties could use the direct route to Lamorato through the valley rather than the terrible mountain that trial. That bare arse ridge and all the rest of it, yeah. Now, Thornton uh, remembered the state of the village, blasted by artillery as he was marching back out of the line. And this is, once more, CSM Major Leslie Thornton. And it's bloody horrible. He says this, We marched through the little village of Cocorutza, which was absolutely devastated. One poor Italian was hanging upside down on the side of the road where a shell had blown him. 
An old man, grey-haired, the blaster just plastered him against the wall. The scene was terrible. The place was really wrecked. Now, after such an ordeal, the battalion was given a short period of rest. Leslie Thornton was delighted. His appearance as a company sergeant major was very important to him, part of his self-image, part of the pride that kept him going when others faltered. But that wasn't all. He was also just bloody knackered. And who could blame him or indeed any of the men? And this is, again, Leslie Thornton. To get out for a couple of days from the line was a treat, just to clean yourself up, really, because we were really filthy, not having a shame. You felt really scruffy. If you live with pigs, you live like a pig, which you do. If you couldn't get a, a wash and shave, then you just don't care, and you live that way. And to clean the weapons, they have to be cleaned to make sure that they're in working order for when you want to use them again. Yeah. <laughs> no training or anything like that. It was a rest, and it had to be. The colour sergeant met me coming along, and he saw we were absolutely shattered. He got hold of my arm, and he said, Come on, Les, I've got some nice clean blankets for you and a cup of tea. I said, You what? Clean blankets? Lovely. We went into this building for a rest. We were shattered. It was really nice to lie down, even although it was only on the floor. But those clean blankets were a luxury. Huh. Well, right outside the building, <laughs> here we go. Opposite was a 7.2 artillery piece. That's the biggest gun we had. They started to fire. Well, our building went up and down like that. Boing, boing. I said, who thought of this place for a rest? My God, every time it fired, the blast was terrific. But even with the artillery over the road, I did sleep because we'd had very little sleep for four days. Wow. Just knackered. Yeah, the men were all exhausted. They'd been involved in a terrible battle, but it was one that had, has been largely forgotten. Yep. Well, who's all? Oh, everyone always hears about Monte Cassino, and rightly so. But the fighting on Monte Cassino was dreadful as well. Yeah, and, and after such an ordeal, the men treasured any chance of a rest to put their feet up for a while. Yeah, well, because this is the great advantage. They, they do miss Monte Cassino, don't they? And they that, do. Uh, that's a, yeah, and this is a bit of a lull in the storm, wasn't it? Yeah, on the 15th of December, the 16th DLI moved into new billets at Campo. What are they doing there? Well, they were in reserve in case the Germans made an attack back onto Monte Camino. While at Campo, the battalion also received a draft of new officers to replace the steady drip-drip of casualties over the previous months. They then, yeah, this is just, uh, we're just all tidy up, up the end of this. They then move forward, they replace the 5th Hampshire's in the front line, and they're in a mountainous area just to the northwest of San Carlo. This is a, 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 this is a lull in the storm. There's, there's no big operations. Still, still record patrols, of course, uh, but nothing really. On, on the 31st of December, they, they put the 16th pull back to their rest billets at La Vagli. Um, what, what do they do then? Uh, well, on the 31st of December, the 16th... And we've done that, Gary. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Pete. <laughs> oh, caught you there. Here, they have a belated Christmas celebration and approximately 450 Africa Star Medal ribbons were issued to those entitled by their service to wear them. But the war's not finished with them yet, is it? Not by a long chalk, Gary. So soon we'll be back with a 16th DLI. And on the 31st of December... The... <laughs> you love that bit, don't you? Now, can I just say that if you've enjoyed these podcasts, then I've got a book out. What's it called, Gary? 
foot sloggers. That's it. And it's the whole story of the 16th DLI. Sales are appalling. I don't know why you bastards listen to the podcast and don't buy the book. Do you know why? They haven't bought Laugh or Cry either. Bugger them. That's what we say, isn't it? Well, that's what you say. I say they're lovely. <sighs> Groveling. Cheers, Pete. Cheers, Gary. Thanks for listening to the show. Blah, blah, blah. If you'd like to support blah, us, blah, you can now buy us a coffee. Blah, blah, Visit www.buymeacoffee.com backslash PGMH. Or visit www.blahblahblahblahblah. And we'd be jolly grateful. Cheers. Thanks for listening. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook to learn more about each episode. And if you'd like to support the podcast, you have a couple of options. You can buy us a coffee at buymeacoffee forward slash PGMH or consider subscribing to the podcast for only £2 per month and get ad-free listening and bonus content. You can find links for both on our Facebook and Twitter accounts. Sounds great, doesn't it?